Welcome to the podcast for WGTS Gateway Fellowship, a place that is about inspiring hope. You can learn more about us and hear more messages at mygatewayfellowship.com. I was so excited because I got to go to Grandma's house. It was the first time. I got to spend all night at her house. And so as I got to her house, the first thing she said is, I'm having some guests, and so you're going to have to make your way to the back room and just stay there for a little bit. I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to stay in the room. But being a good little boy, I went to the back room, and as I'm in the back room, all of a sudden, I am back there, and it's not long that Grandma's telling me, don't you come back. You know, don't you, you stay in the back room and make sure you don't, you leave us alone. And I was a typical, you know, eight-year-old kid. I got bored real fast. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to peek and see what they're doing down the hall. So I opened the door and I looked down the hall and it was dark, but I could hear whispers in the distance. So I thought, man, you know, if I turn the light off, I could open the door wider and then she wouldn't see the light and she wouldn't know. So I started to make my way down the hall. And of course, I'm pressed against the wall. And as I'm getting closer to the end of the hall, I, I'm ready and I'm, I'm just right there and I'm starting to peek around the corner. And whoa, I, I thought I had to check my eyes. So I look again because there I saw, there was on the table, Grandma had always had this ball on there. It looked like a bowling ball. But this time there was images moving inside it. I thought, I must be saying things. So I look again, and I'm, I'm sneaking, looking there, and there are literally images jumping up and down, moving inside there. I'm thinking, I don't know many things, but this doesn't seem right. So next thing I know, I look again, and there I see this time, there are not only images moving inside the ball, but this time what I see is Grandma puts her hand above the ball, about four or five inches. And she moves her hand up. And as she moves her hand up, literally the ball comes up in direct proportion to how far she moved it. Now my heart's beginning to batter pretty hard. But next thing I see is the ball is up. And as an eight-year-old boy, I couldn't lift that ball by myself. I could drag it onto the floor, but of course I would have broke something with her hand at her verbal command the table left the floor and met the ball in the air now I'm really I'm really scared now and I run back to the room so as I make my way to the back room I close the door real quick and I had just gone to church believe it or not for the very first time the week before and there was only one thing I remember that this lady said in church is if you get in trouble and you pray to God, he will come to your rescue. Well, I didn't really know how to pray, but they had sung the song in church. And I remember it was Jesus lifted me. I don't know if anybody remember this, those old timey songs from years ago, Jesus, 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 Jesus lifted me. And that's all I could remember. And so I started praying, Jesus, 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 Jesus lifted me. And as I started to pray, I felt a darkness you know that eerie feeling that happens right before a storm? Have you ever felt that? And it's just that dark presence that kind of comes around, and it felt as though it was encompassing me. It's literally, I felt as though I was being choked. And I could hardly breathe, which made me even more scared. So then I 
came into a fetal position. As I'm curled up in a ball, and all I can say is, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It seemed like it was eternity when all of a sudden, it was like that dark, evil presence was gone. Within two minutes, Grandma comes in, opens the door. You were praying, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you ever do that again in my house. Now, what I have never forgotten, I am an eight-year-old, and I later found out that Grandma was a minister in the Church of Satan, the main branch in San Francisco, California. So she was a high up in the ranks. I am an eight-year-old boy who's gone to church for the very first time. Catch this. But my prayer was stronger than Grandma and all of her wisdom and power with the evil presence. When you get God on your side, you have more than enough to accomplish whatever you're going through to provide you to get through whatever you've been through. That legacy has provided quite a change for me through my life. And as I kind of just share some key life events, there's a, there's not too many that I can't share, and actually some I don't want to share. You know what I mean? But there's a number of key events, and this first one with Grandma really is those significant because I was introduced to witchcraft. And there are just so many things we won't go into today about that process. But I was eight years old, and at eight years old, I go to church for the very first time. And as I go to church, I learned the very thing that I needed in order to survive. And it has been a theme throughout my life. And it starts when we get down and we pray to God. Because His faithfulness is indeed very real. And I learned very, ser- several things right away on my very first experience. I felt evil's darkness like I had never felt it. Maybe some of you have felt it before. You feel the evil presence. You can sense it. Sometimes you meet somebody and can't you see it in them? Or you can feel it in them? There's some, there's a darkness you can't explain exactly what it is, but you, you're like, I, I just want to stay away. Such was that experience. I felt the separation from God just as I was praying and that dark presence comes and was pressing on. I definitely felt the presence of God had left. But I realized that as I prayed to God and I called out to God, my Bible says that He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He indeed helped triumph over the occasion. Now, I felt Grandma's wrath, which I didn't like. But what was felt presence of God was more real than the felt presence of her wrath. And the lesson that has never left me through all of that is that God's triumph, God's love always triumphs over everything else. God is in the business of bringing you back. So I don't know what you come with tonight, and I don't know where your experience is at, but I do know this. If you call on God... He will be available, and He will take you through whatever you're going to go through. Well, that lesson provided some great teaching points for me as I began to grow. It was a couple years later that I ended up getting baptized, and then in August of 1977, an event happened that changed my life for forever. We were excited because we were going to get to go for an airplane ride, and I was excited. I'd never had that chance, and we were going with several people from the church and my father. And as we made our way, circling around Oakdale, California, the airport, we were trying to call down to get an answer of which way the wind was blowing because there was no windsock there to tell us. There's a windsock. You know, ever seen those little orange things that look like a big funnel? 
That's called a wind sock, and it's supposed to tell you which way the wind is blowing so that when you go, when you land, you got to make sure that you're going the right way to help, help you stop. Well, there was no one there, and he was too busy in his poker game to answer. And it wasn't a legal, you didn't have legally, you didn't have to respond on smaller airports. So we're circling around trying to find it. Eventually, we decide to take a guess at which way the wind was blowing. We'd been in a drought for five years. As we're landing, we realize as we're on the runway, at the end of the runway is a five-foot mound of dirt, and we're not going to make it. So the pilot does a full-blown forward on the, the throttle. And as he pushes the throttle forward, we begin to lift up, but the wheels catch the mound of dirt, and we endo over into a ditch. So now, I am now seeing that the enemy is trying to take my life out now. At this point, I'm only 13 years old when the airplane accident happened. But what was interesting is the night before, I had dreamed. I had a dream about the accident. In the accident, for two days, I did not have feeling from my waist down. We were told by three experts that I would never run again. It changes things when you go through that for a few days. It causes you to think through things a little differently. But the night before, I had had this dream that I was going to go through the accident, and there were two things that I heard God saying. I'm going to spare your life. But even stronger than that was this great sense, Joey, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with you yet. I don't know if maybe that's all you need to hear, is God's not done with you yet either. He is in the business of restoring and bringing. Psalms 46 says He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He is definitely one that delivers who comes through. And when the enemy comes with his attack, you may be down, but you're not out. So here it is. He's saying, I'm not done with you yet. I am only 13 years old, and yet I have felt the call at that time. I had my first indication where I felt God calling me to be a pastor. But maybe some of you uh, could relate with the old quote that Mae West used to say. Um, she said, I used to be Snow White, but I drifted. And that was kind of my experience. Because I grew up in a home, I call them the lost years, because in my home, there was a lot of abuse. There was physical abuse. There was mental abuse. There was sexual abuse. Just got a call a little over a week ago now from one of my sisters. My sisters still have nightmares about it. There was a particular occasion that, for some reason, it seems to trigger. This particular night, mom had come out, slipped on the banana peel on the floor. So you can see it's a very important thing that happened. But any of you, if you've been through abuse, isn't it the little things that set off? So she now wakes us all up, drags us in the room, takes the broomstick that she's broken off, and she begins to beat us. 
After an hour and a half of beating, I cannot take watching my sisters get beat anymore. So I say, I did it. Thinking that I was, as the big brother, was taking care of my sisters. At which point, my mom stripped me naked. Had me lay flat out. Got a vacuum cord. And beat me from top of my head down to my feet for four hours. Where she would wrap the cord where it would swing around you and then rip it off. I didn't realize sometimes it's easier to handle the physical side than it is to watch somebody you love go through that. And for my sisters, they've never recovered. They can never seem to shake it. So they're calling and saying, I'm having that nightmare again. Dawn's the one that took care of me for the three weeks that I couldn't literally turn over on my side. She said that I had about six inches of blood swollen up from the back of my head all the way down. It was three months after the incident. I was swimming. I had a t-shirt on because I still had bruises, but the bruises were seen by Grandma through the shirt. And that's when it was finally turned in. Today we would take away a child if that incident, but that wasn't the case. <laughs> it's amazing how the excuses parents come up with to abuse children. During that time of the, the abuse, I was beaten many, many times. I really can't tell you how many times. I don't know. Some of them were worse than others, but it happened. It seemed when we started to go to church, it happened even more. The abuse seemed to escalate to a whole other level. I was 19 years old before I physically stopped my mother when she went to hit me. I came back from college and she went to hit me and I stopped her and I said, you will never hit me again. It was all I could do to not hit her, honestly. It was all I could do to not hit her. My mom knew that, told my dad, my dad that night came into my room and threw me up against the wall had me pinned up against the wall and said, Son, if you ever hit your mother, so help me, God, I will kill you. I got the message. The parents separate and the abuse increases. It became a non-existent dad is really what I would describe it as. He was there in body sometimes. I can't even tell you how many times they separated and supposedly got back together. Actually, they got a divorce and got back together, never got remarried. But one of the hardest part is you go on through life is how the abuse is allowed. Because it was allowed by my dad, who never stood up to my mom. It was allowed by the school. I went back to my high school reunion. 
didn't have any desire. I don't know why. Didn't want to go back to high school reunion. It took me 25 years before I went back. But one of the things that really got under my skin is I had somebody tell me, we knew you were being abused. And I about came unglued. It was all I could do. You mean you knew and you did nothing? It's amazing the scars we have from those types of things you don't get over. It's ironic. Grandma, the one in witchcraft, is the one who turned it in. It's interesting. The one who worships Satan. Talk about how the enemy wants to mess with your world. Guess who's the one that when we don't have food, who's the one that's given us money? Grandma. It kind of messes with your brain because then you're thinking, well, I thought God was the one to supply all my need. But guess what? What's the enemy reminding me? Hey, the only one who's coming through for you is Grandma. You know, if you would get into that, that's where the real strength is. Do you have people? They come in wolf's clothing. <laughs> but you don't recognize as wolf clothing. You think it's sheep's clothing. You think they're actually your friends. Why don't we do this? Why don't we get into that? And they begin to take you down a path that isn't so cool. You start getting into things that are a little beyond your comfort zone, and pretty soon you're doing things you never imagined. This created for me all kinds of confusion. I won't go into the details of some of those confusions, but you can imagine. And what I found, and this is what I have found for many people who go through abuse, is I used God to maintain control. Now, some might say that's a good thing. But I'm meaning I used God. There's a difference. When you're using God, you'll find that a lot of people in abuse tend to be attracted to religions that have a lot of rules-based religions. You'll notice people that come from abuse, their three main faiths that they're attracted to, studies have shown. Jehovah Witness, Mormons, and Seventh-day Adventists. And they say it's because in their system, in their structures, we keep secrets. We keep secrets. And so I found that I went to religion because I started to think if I did good things enough, that maybe I would find the favor of God and He would protect me. I used God to maintain control of my life. I continued on that pattern, got married. Got married because my wife was pregnant. That was the one of those vices. In fact, if I can be so bold, my father, my introduc introduction into sex ed was by my father, and they were concerned because of choices uh, in, in my life, and they were concerned about my sexuality because I was never bringing girls home. And so they made the assumption that I must be gay. 
So my parents were always asking me, you know, it's okay if you tell us if you're gay, it's okay. I'm not. It's okay. It's really, it's okay. It's safe. I'm thinking, I'm not. Well, you never bring any girls home. And I didn't tell them the real reason is because you guys are so crazy. I don't know what you're going to do. But I couldn't tell them that. So here, my father is so concerned about it that one day he comes to me in a loving, kind, compassionate way and hands me the American Express card with a whole box of prophylactics. And in crude terms, he basically tells me to go screw them all. My father introduced me into porn at around six. Didn't even know it was wrong. You move down this pattern and you begin to see the effects in life for your choices. My wife is pregnant. We get married over that. Life is not going well when an event happens that is life-altering. I feel a sense that God is calling me back into ministry, that dream at 13. And I'm going, God, my life is not in line with that kind of thing. I would not be accepted. Have you ever felt you wouldn't be accepted? That you don't measure up? You don't fit in? It was just a few weeks after that event that I felt the call back into ministry that on July 27, 1987, I was working at a roof and floor truss plant when I was working with a saw, and as they were, there was a 36-inch pulley on this big saw blade, and as it was coming across, it hit a knot in the wood that knocked my hand up and put my hand into the saw, cut off three fingers. I'm now on my way to the hospital. As the fingers were cut off, I just picked up my fingers, held them there, and it's amazing how the master designer creates our body. Your body goes into shock and you really don't feel it for about 20 minutes. <laughs> and then reality hits <laughs> and the veins that are popped out with every blood pump, you know, with every heartbeat, you can just feel the blood pumping out. It was very painful. That created this opportunity because I had to have th hand therapy and they have to pay you while you're going through that, and I felt the call into ministry, that God says, well, this is your way to get back in school because one of my first things was, God, i got children now, I've got two kids, and, you know, can't afford to do this. Anybody ever make up these excuses, God, there's no way? Um, this is cutting-edge theology, you know. <laughs> That's a poor taste, sons. Cutting-edge theology was not the way you'd want to have it happen, but God, God, it worked. Something that was evil, he ended up using for good. So my hand gets cut off, and it, I started back in theology, and I ended up graduating in 89. Had my third child, actually, just a couple months after that event. I had five pinions in my hand, went through all kinds of therapy. But as I went back in theology, God needed to do some inventory in my life. And the number one thing happened in my marriage because I had a big dilemma. Because I realized I did not love my wife.
That's kind of a problem to be a pastor and not love your wife. But as I'm trying to be honest with myself, I am now studying the Bible really hard because I want to see if there's a loophole in Scripture that I can get rid of my wife. And so I would have dreams and fantasies about things that would happen. And I mean, this is shameful to, to admit, but it's honest. I hope that's okay. But there would be these moments where I would be like, you know, sure wouldn't mind if something happened to her. Sure would be convenient. I could kind of go on with my life. So I began studying. As I began studying, I found God started showing me some truths about Bible. And what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. In fact, as I was reading more, I began to realize and see that if God, even if I didn't honor the commitment, God honored the commitment. In fact, I came across this guy in the Bible who committed adultery and did all kinds of bad things, and it said, he came back with his prayer, create in me a new heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. When I looked up the word create, the word create literally means out of nothing. And that's how I felt towards my wife. Nothing. So I then said, well, God, if your word is actually true, well, let's, we're going to have to test it. Well, you're going to have to create in me a love for my wife that I don't want to have. Not only do I not have it, I don't want to want to have it. Are you with me? So now I'm saying, okay, God, well, I don't think, I don't know, can you really do that? So I begin this marital dilemma, realizing, hey, I don't love my wife, which led me to this accountable relationship. I felt like God said, hey, your scripture said that it's, you know, a cord of three strands not easily broken. It talks about that we should bear up each other's burdens. And I realized that I had a problem being honest with myself. Any of you seem to have that same issue? Where you have a self-honesty problem? I was going through one. But I felt like God was revealing things, and I knew I needed to have somebody who would hold me accountable, and so I prayed for that, and God sent me somebody. So in that accountable relationship, we began to meet weekly. Met weekly, okay. And, and I would suggest if you're doing that kind of thing that you need to make sure you're doing it with someone who's of the same sex. Do not do it of someone of the opposite sex. We began doing that, and I began to pray for nine months, friends, nine months every day. I had it on my prayer agenda, the Lord, please, create in me a new heart, oh God. Give me a love for my wife. Lord, give me a, help me even want to want to love her. And that's how bad it was. So at that point, it was nine months later, and I'll never forget, I can, I can see it as if yesterday I remember looking down at the very spot. I can remember where I was standing. I can remember the emotions I was feeling because it was one morning, and I'm looking down at my wife when I realize for the, that I love her. And it was one of like, you can hear the music in the background because that's when it dawned on me, this praying gig really works. 
you can really take what the prayer, what's on your heart, what's on your mind, and what's going through, and you can, God can handle your honesty. He can handle the brutal, honest to goodness truth, even if it's not pretty. And not only could He handle it, He could create in me something I didn't even want to want to have. But because I kept asking Him, I kept asking Him, as Matthew 7 says, and I kept seeking Him, and I kept knocking on the door of His heart, He finally did for me what I asked. There was a breakthrough. And I stayed that course for that entire nine months in order to have that breakthrough. And it started again with praying every day. Are you starting to see a theme in my life? But what I wasn't expecting is I made some assumptions. If God was going to go to such lengths to work on my heart, I assumed he was going to do the same for my wife. I mean, doesn't that not make logical sense? Why would he have me go through that exercise if she's not going to choose the same thing? She came from a missionary's family. They were very well connected in the church, politically connected. But it's not even a year after I get to that place, she leaves me for somebody and ends up marrying them. Now, I've got to be honest. I am really ticked off at God now. Because God now has created in me a love for a woman that I didn't even want to want to love. And now He's created a love for her. And now she doesn't want me and she leaves me for somebody else. And get this. She leaves me on the week of graduation. I am the senior class pastor i got to go up front. She tells me at 10. My parents arrive at 2. Imagine that weekend. There was pain. There was heartache. There was worthlessness in your value. And, and what I discovered is that God graced all of that stuff. Because I was so angry at the time with God in that, and I didn't understand it, and I did not get an answer for many years. In fact, it was about eight years later, but when I finally got an answer, because I met someone else and I got remarried to Sarah, who's right now in the front row with us. And I learned for the first time what consistency was in a daily walk with God. And I learned it by seeing her. And I had a desert experience that you might say, that where I had a wake-up call and, and a, another conversion where I felt God's call on my heart again. And He began to... I rediscovered this first love and asking God for things. And there began to be a healing process that happened. And in that healing process, I found God rebuilding confidence in my heart and in my mind. And this was nine years before I ever got into ministry. But I found that it really started at the age of 23 when I realized I did not love my wife. That God began to start doing a work that took a process of 16 years of recovery and healing. Because God needed to prepare me in order to serve Him. I don't know where you've come from. Moses in the Bible took 40 years for God to unteach him all the things that he learned in order to be useful. Remember Joseph? Joseph was a really good guy. In fact, he was a really, he was a goody two-shoes by many standards. But there was this little bit of edge of arrogance. And so what did it take? It took 22 years of different circumstances in order for him to be humbled so that God could use him fully. 
Where does God need to work in you? Where is He calling you out to say, why don't you try this thing called faith? My Bible says that believing is the first step. God does the changing, not you, not me. I can't work my way into God's grace or goodness, but I can choose to believe Him at His Word. And if I hadn't made the choice, there would have been no personal recovery. I look at my sisters today, and there's only one, there's one major difference between us and us. I chose Jesus. And it's amazing to see because today you would say, wow, you can't even, you don't even look like you're on the same page, but it really started with one major decision. I chose Jesus. Now, I chose Jesus, and look how whacked out my pattern is. You know, I'm just being brutally honest. I hope that's okay. I'm being honest about how off I got it, even with God. But one of the beauties that I love about Jesus is God accepts us where we're at. But He loves you too much to let you stay there. So He gets you on a journey to move you from here to there, where He needs you to be, so that you can become useful for Him. Are you prepared to serve? Are you in a recovery pattern with God? Are you growing in your walk with the Lord? Is, are you finding Him rebuilding you in His confidence? Because I found that for Him. He was doing that for me as a man. He was doing that also as, as God's child that I had value in God's sight. God saw worth enough that He would have died really for Joey. Despite where I've been. Despite what I've done. Despite what I'd chosen to do. Because I began seeing myself through heaven's eyes. And it made all the difference. Maybe some of you, maybe there's someone here tonight who needs to see themselves through heaven's eyes. That you need to see that you indeed have incredible value to the heart of God. And that while you've been just going on through this life and thinking it's just happenstance, God's had a divine plan inspired to reach you. Because you have value to Him. You matter to Him. You have significance. And I got married to somebody. Before I got married to someone who was, by outward appearance, looked like they had it all together. This time God set me up with somebody who had it together on the inside. And so I got to see it modeled day in, day out. And I can honestly tell you, I have never met anyone who has more integrity on a day-to-day -day basis than my wife. I mean, I see behind the scenes, and I can testify. Now, she wouldn't be able to say the same about me. <laughs> but I could say about her. I've never seen someone who models integrity day in, day out with such consistency. And God knew I needed it. God knows what you need as well. He knows what you need 
and He's going to provide that. You know, I look at my career path, and you look at my career path, and you think, man, it's a hodgepodge. It's like you never knew what you were trying to figure. I've been spending my life trying to figure out what I was going to do. Except when you get in, I got into construction and worked as a saw, had my hand cut off, and then I ended up going to school, and which had hand therapy, and I had to go through graduation, and my wife left me, and I'm senior class pastor, and then there's all these realizations that I'm developing a pattern just like my parents where you get divorced and all kinds of family repeated patterns, and I'm like, I am not happy about the way things are going. And then I become a school teacher, worked in high school, ended up managing a a law firm, went into sales because I wanted to make money. From there, I actually went into my own business and then went in as a recruiter and a pastor and then ended up on my own business. I mean, it's just amazing. You say, wow, you really just don't know what you're trying to do. Until I became a pastor, all of that experience finally made sense. Because I'm telling you, it's been incredibly useful having all that wide spectrum of experience as a pastor. But I want you to share with you the most important part is God's unseen hand through it all. What appears to be just a hodgepodge, what I see is God's unseen hand just showing, Joey, you have value. But it all started and it always has resonated through prayer. Every good gift that God has given me has come through prayer. Scripture says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers of this dark world, you know, dark forces of this world. And then when you see that, it's found in Ephesians 6, if you get a chance to read that, verses 10 through 18, as it begins to talk about, so you need to make sure you put on what they call the full armor of God. If you're going to go through this life, God says, I'm going to equip you for this life. And so he gives you some instruction of the armor, what you're to put on. But I want to remind you of all the things you put on has a belt of truth and a breastplate of righteousness, a shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, a helmet of salvation. You have all these parts, gospel shoes of peace. All of those things are beautiful. But the last thing, usually the thing that most people forget about, the most important thing at the very end, verse 18 says, and pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. Prayer is your best gift given by a holy, uh, God-honoring person because God wants you and Him to talk straight. He can handle the truth. Now, you may have friends who can't handle the truth because isn't that's true. I mean, don't you have friends? I mean, we all have people in our lives. They'll say, oh, you can talk to me about anything. And you're like, over my dead body. I mean, you don't tell them that, but you know what I mean. And and I want to tell you, when your gut tells you that, listen to your gut. I believe that's why the Holy Spirit gave us instincts. If your instincts say it's not safe to share with Terry, it's not necessarily meaning that Terry is bad. But what it does say is that God's trying to tell you this is not the place to go and share. Listen to that. That's God's instinct to you. Through prayer is what's brought this all. He's been protecting me all my life from the evil attack from the enemy from the very beginning. It started with Gray and Grandma's seance. It went through an airplane clash where he's literally trying to snuff out my life. It happened through poor choices, many poor choices on my own part, but choices also that were also poured on me. Then I go through a divorce, a repeating pattern that happens through my life, through jobs. And what do I see through it all? That God is there through me and helps me through it. And I learned that there's this thing called a Bible. And when I study the Bible, it when I put a daily thing, God says that His mercies are new every morning. So when I put my nose in God's Word, and I begin to ask questions, ask the who, the what, 
the where, the when, the how. Ask the questions around the text. Why is this for me? How is this relevant to me? What were you trying to communicate? And what value does that have to me? As you begin to ask questions and be inquisitive like you are in everything else. If a friend comes up to you and says, I don't feel good today, you don't say, well, that's tough. You know, that's not what you do. But that's many of us how we approach the Bible. We look at the Bible and it says, wow, that's a great verse. Don't understand it, but we go on. If you have a friend who comes up to you and says, I don't feel good today, and they say, well, just go by, that's not a friend. You need to get a new set of friends. But typically that friend's going to say, well, why? What's going on? You need to come to the Scripture the same way because it's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother to you. God knows that if you put your nose in His Word and you begin to ask questions, He will help you discover things. In fact, one place in Scripture it says that He will lead you into all truth. But you've got to be in the Word. And you've got to be praying. And you've got to be asking. And you've got to be honest. And you need to get yourself in a group of people that you can study and talk and share. I found journaling. is These are just some of the aspects, things in my life that I found incredibly helpful. This is me now looking back years later, learning from wisdom. Okay? So maybe you can incorporate some of these into your life now. Journaling I found to be a very, you know, something I do on a weekly basis. Several times a week, many times. And it gives me perspective over time because I can see lessons that I'm learning over time. I also have accountability, and I have accountability in several different ways. You know, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. Iron sharpens iron. That means there's going to be friction sometimes. So if I really care about you, it's kind of like in America's Got Talent. They have the judges do an assessment afterwards, and they sometimes you don't like their assessments. But they're telling you, hey, you know what? I think you guys can go to another level, and this is what I think you could do. They're not doing it to be mean. It may feel mean at the time but they're trying to help you. God does the same thing as iron sharpens iron. There's accountability. He's trying to sharpen your sword. I have four accountability partners in different capacities. I have one that's a mentor, someone that's kind of mentoring me along in my life that God has brought into my life. I also have someone that's an older guide, someone that's just lived life, and this person is just... I. This is the newest one that I have. There, I felt God led uh, to somebody that that has been beautiful to kind of talk me through. And so I talk about things I'm thinking through now at this point in my life because I want to end life well. I started poorly, but I'm not, I'm not defined by the past choices. I'm defined on the choices I make today. And so I found that an older guide is a really important key for me, someone that I feel comfortable that I can be honest with, and I've prayed earnestly about that. But again, trust your instincts because God gives you those. And I have accountability. I have accountability in two capacities. I have one in ministry because it's important for me being a pastor that I need to have a pastor that actually can understand what I'm going through. So I have accountability that way. And I have someone who's outside of ministry. I kind of like having someone who knew me before I was a pastor who has a BS detector. Is that okay to say that? That might... This isn't recorded, right? But you know what I'm talking about. I mean, aren't we great at not being honest about our own junk? And so I need somebody who has a BS detector can realize, say, Joey, now come on, come on, come on. I've been with you for like all these years. You you expect them. You're going to sell me that bunch of... Come on. That's what you need in accountability. The other thing is you got to get yourself connected to a church, a place that's a safe haven. God... There are many churches that, yes, are sick. There are many places that don't have that. But you know what? I can tell you this. If you're coming to church to look for the problems, you'll find them. You'll be successful every time. 
but you also will equally be just as successful if you come to church and you say, I know there's got to be somebody here, somebody who's really seeking God's presence. I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you, if you come with that mindset, God will lead you to the right people. So get involved in church, Sabbath school, small groups, study groups, some kind of serving capacity. Serving is absolutely essential because you'll find it's only as you get involved and do something. You may not even buy into the church or all their stuff, but you get serving other people, you will find God will do something in you that goes beyond comprehension as you practice it. And you need to have some outlets. You know, one of the things, these are, I'm just giving you ideas of things of what God's led me. They maybe just, they'll spark ideas for you, but spiritual retreats. I do two spiritual retreats a year where I take three days and I just take time to connect with God. It's been an awesome experience. I've done it for the last, I think it's four or five years now. I also do a training event. I invested myself in ministry. Now I'm going to just take a little tidbit to put this out here. I know many of you aren't in ministry, but I'm going to share this from the perspective because I didn't learn it in ministry. I learned it in the business world. I remember one day I was whining and complaining about our company I was working for, and I said, you know, if they would just do such and such, it would make all the difference in this company. I would be successful in my job. So I was talking to my buddy about this, and he was saying, Joey, do you really believe that? I said, absolutely. Well, have you asked them? I said, yeah, and they won't do it. Do you really believe it's true? Yes, I do. Then why don't you invest in yourself? But that would cost me, you know, at the time it was something that was going to cost me almost $2,000. He said, well, will it make the difference? Do you really believe it? Yeah. Well, then invest in yourself. How many of you are investing real-time dollars in yourself to better yourself as a person? Spiritually. How many, I mean, I've heard people say, well, I just can't get another Bible or I can't buy that Bible software. And I'm sitting there, are, are, are we being serious here? Like, shut off your cable for three months and it would more than pay for it? I mean, come on. Are we being serious here? I mean, we will invest. Hey, I want to watch my NFL package and so I buy a big screen TV. That wasn't free. And that's for pleasure. But you're not going to go invest in something to help you learn about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? You're not going to pay some money to go to a conference where you can be inspired? I mean, come on. Folks, please, invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. So once a year, I have a minimum that I do something to invest in myself. I'm already signed up for something I'm going to do in February. I'm trying to teach this to my church family as well. I also believe if marriage is value to you, my wife and I have made a commitment that every two years that we are going to do something that's designed for our marriage. If you're a married person, I suggest you do something. If you value it, you will invest in it. You know, if you're planning for retirement, that requires that you put money in it, right? If you don't put anything in, guess what? You're not going to get anything out. You need to do that, and anything you think is value, if you believe and you want God to make a change in your life, you've got to invest. Come on. God thought you were so valuable that He invested all of heaven. He, who being in the very form God, did not consider equality with God something that to be grasped, but He gave up heaven's privileges, reduced Himself to that of a man, was tempted at all points like you and I were. And he did it all for one reason, to save you, to redeem you. 
He didn't even he doesn't even force you to choose him. He just did it so that you had a choice that you could experience redemption. You could be saved. God invested a lot in you. Can you invest in him? Since God's given me a gift of a marriage, I want to invest in her. Hiking's another thing that's a great outlet for me. Taking vacations. When I first got married, I didn't know what this vacation was. I remember the first time that Sarah and I went on a vacation together, we went for a week. It took me five days to relax. I didn't know how to relax. The irony is, is that I was really ticked off at her because the, as soon as her feet touched the sand, she was relaxed. And guess what? I was mad. I was thinking, oh, you're just so relaxed. Now, she didn't try to tell me how stupid I was for being mad at her for something that wasn't her fault. She was a wise woman. She says the next year, why don't we take a two-week vacation? Thinking, well, if it takes you five days to relax, at least you'll have a week of vacation. That was a very wise thing because you know what? That's when I learned about vacation. Now, it took a lot of work. She had to go a lot of grief to get me to buy into that. But it was helpful. Take vacation. Build time for a refreshment. For me, I love tennis. And so I'm, you know, I play tennis. So... Look at those things at outlets. And I share all of that with this thing in mind. God says in 1 Corinthians that he who began a good work in you will be faithful until this work is completed in you. God does the work. But he expects you to be wise with his investment because he's given you a body, a mind, a heart, a soul. And God says... He wants you to love Him with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul. And I believe if you will take that step of faith, you will find that God can take you and bring you out of the most worst circumstances possible. Because He is faithful. When I fix my eyes on the author and the finisher of my faith, he is faithful. And he tells us in Philippians that he who began this good work in you will be faithful until it's completed in you. Wherever life's journey is taking you, we hope you can find a home at Gateway Fellowship, a ministry of WGTS 91.9. We'd love for you to visit us sometime. Services happen each Saturday evening at 6. You can learn more about us and get more podcasts at mygatewayfellowship.com.